Hi all, it's your host, Jen Galler, bringing you a new season of the In Our Backyard podcast, and it's all about the road to renewables. Within the season, we will unpack what experts, activists, and people on the ground are doing on a local, state, and national level to move us further on a just road to renewable energy. I'm super excited to unpack this topic with you, so let's get started. This episode, I'm talking with John Farrell, who works with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, a national research and advocacy organization fighting corporate control to develop the intersect between the economy and the environment. John is the director of their Energy Democracy Incentive, which as the name suggests, is a movement to allow more public choice in energy source consumption. It is taking the decision of energy sources from larger utilities and corporations and gives it to us as individuals so we have more options in our energy resources and hence can choose a more sustainable renewable energy source. Join me as we learn more from John on what energy democracy incentive means for us and the progression to sustainability. Hi everyone, I'm with John Farrell who is the Director of Energy Democracy Initiative with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And just starting out, could you tell me about your organization and what you all do? Yeah, well, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance was founded in 1974 in Washington, D.C., with really this broad focus to advance local authority and local opportunity in the economy. So the idea was, can we have more power at the community and the city level over our local economies? And as we've evolved, you know, we've been doing that work in the trenches for decades, and we are now also strongly focused on the problem of corporate concentration, because uniquely in the past 40 to 50 years, as the federal government has kind of failed at its job to regulate the size of corporations, it's become increasingly difficult to have that local control over the economy because there are so many large corporations that exercise so much power. So we, I joke that we're a national local organization. We look nationally at the <laughs> policies and the economic issues that are encountered by communities everywhere, but we really focus on local solutions. And you see that as well in the work that we do in our Energy Democracy Initiative. Yeah, that's great. I think it's easier for people to comprehend when it's at like a local smaller level than, you know, the national level. They feel like they can do more and they have more of a say in like what's happening around them. So as the director of Energy Democracy, what is energy democracy mean? And yeah, what's the work behind it that you all do? Yeah, the the idea of energy democracy is really that we just have more local and democratic control over our energy system. So in the same way that we have a democratic country writ large, that we want the decisions about how our energy economy works to be in the hands of people who are energy users. And so we uniquely in the energy sector have not just corporate concentration, but we have literal monopolies that in most of the country, we've divided up territories for electric utilities and gas utilities. And and if you live in that territory, that's the only option you have for getting that kind of service. And then we have public regulators that usually at the state level that oversee these companies. And so what we've been really interested in from an energy democracy standpoint is where are the ways in which we can have choice and the freedom to choose where our energy comes from? And recent years, what that really means is whether it's wind turbines collectively owned by farmers or rooftop solar, where anybody can generate their own electricity, that we have these options we didn't have before. And they really undercut the idea of monopoly. And and our job at the Energy Democracy Initiative is to explore what are the rules that we can change and how our energy system works to make sure communities can take advantage of that. And what are the great stories that we can tell, whether it's Burlington, Vermont, already having 100% renewable electricity, or the Kauai Island Utility Cooperative, 
already having 75% renewable electricity, or Farmers Electric Co Cooperative, which has more solar than most utilities across the country, but only has 600 customers in its uh, location in northeastern Iowa. So we're really looking at how do we help people understand and appreciate the way that we can have localized decision-making and that those outcomes, when you have more local control and more democratic control of our system, will be better for everyone. Yeah, that's great. And so with the monopolies, like the energy monopolies you were talking about, so that would kind of be like TVA and like Duke in my area over here. <laughs> Do you try to like break those down and like work with people or are you just kind of looking where you could get in with the local people and community and like show them what they can do. Yeah. You know, it's really challenging, honestly, in part what we have to overcome is that in a lot of places, people don't even necessarily understand how the structure of the system is impacting their ability to have decisions. So a big starting point for us is just helping people understand there is this monopoly, like this utility doesn't have to deal with competitors. And so the only way to influence it is through the state regulatory system or through the political system, through our legislature. And the second thing people need to understand about that is that the utility exercises a lot of power in those places, especially as utilities have gotten bigger. You know, they can hire a lot of professional staff and lawyers to go before public regulators to convince them why, you know, their profits should be higher, why they should do less for consumers and more for their shareholders, and that that's still in the public interest. And they also make, in fact, in most states, utility companies, monopoly utility companies are the biggest donors to legislatures and legislators. And so they have a lot of political power. So part of it is just starting the conversation there. And we try to do a lot of that explaining to folks about this monopoly issue. And then we also talk about what are the policy alternatives. Like in nine different states, they have this policy called community choice energy, where communities can band together with other cities or, or counties, and they can switch where their energy purchasing comes from. They can say, instead of the monopoly utility company, we're going to buy it from somewhere else. Maybe we'll buy it from our neighbors here locally. Maybe we'll buy it from other energy companies, but we'll have choices. And, and we try to do that in two ways. So we try to both publish our work on the web where it's available to anybody and folks can kind of self-serve. We have a community power toolkit, for example, on our website that talks about a lot of the things that you can do at the local level. It's kind of an interactive way to walk through, see some stories of how policies have been used. But we also do try to do direct technical assistance where folks will reach out to us and say, hey, we're having this fight right now. Like we or the utilities trying to get rid of rooftop solar. So say in California, for example, there's a bill at the legislature where the utilities are trying to get rid of net metering, which is a crucial policy to make sure that people get fair payment for the energy they produce from their own rooftop. So we try to get involved in those battles as well, either by helping provide information and resources to the group that wants to intervene or sometimes even doing that ourselves. You know, we've done testimony with before the Michigan Public Utilities Commission, or I've actually testified in front of the Indiana legislature before. So there's lots of different ways that we can get involved and be helpful. But largely, we try to do that in a way that can broadly help everybody by providing the tools free of charge on our website that allow people to help self-serve. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And what do you think it will take to get to this just energy transition and get to not necessarily 100% renewables, but renewables being like the main source of energy? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think those two things can happen separately or they can happen together. So the utility companies that are in charge now would love to say, we'll just switch to doing renewable energy as long as you keep paying us the significant profits that we used to make. And so we do have this decision point and this choice point, and we have to make decisions about what we want to push for. So 
you know, just as an example, in New Mexico, they passed 100% clean energy legislation. I think the deadline is by something like 2045, but they largely allowed the utility to claim ownership over the replacement power. So like as they power down their Mm -hmm. fossil fuels, the utility is going to own the solar and the wind power that they're going to use to replace a lot of that. And the problem is that utilities actually get paid really handsomely. So about 40 years ago, a utility's profits, their return on equity. So a utility makes money. Most of these investor-owned private companies make money when they build something. It's called the cost plus model. So the idea is like if I spend a million dollars as a utility to build a power line or a power plant or something, which obviously costs a lot more than that, I get a return on that equity. And these days it's between nine and 10%. So for that million dollars I spend, I'd get like $100,000 in profits for my shareholders. And 40 years ago, that number was actually pretty close in line with things like corporate bonds or U.S. treasuries or something like that. But there's been this big divergence where those other ways of making money, of making investments, now pay like 2 to 3% interest. But utilities are still making 9 to 10% return on their money. They're making out really well. We have sort of two problems with that. Number one is we're going to really overpay for the clean energy transition if we let utilities own it all because they're really expensive compared to other things. Their political powers allowed them to keep getting paid, you know, a lot of money for something that's not very risky because most of them don't have any competition. And then the second issue we have, of course, is if the utility is going to make all that money, we don't have a chance to distribute it around and share it in the way that we would if we built rooftop solar or other approaches. And so we really do have to organize. And in the before the public utilities commissions or public service commissions where decisions are often made, we have to push hard against things like utility ownership and make sure that there's more choices and more market access and more explicit benefits being shared. But really, even more than that, we have to go to state legislators and say, it's time to like demonopolize our energy markets. And instead of allowing them to be, be held by companies that really insist on getting paid much more than any of us can reasonably expect if we're investing money in the stock market or into you know, a savings account or what have you, that we need a ways to broadly distribute those benefits. You know, Maybe that's community solar programs like we have here in Minnesota and, and in several other states. Maybe that's community choice energy where cities get to choose where their energy comes from. There's lots of different ways to do that. Yeah, that's great. And that's interesting that the road to renewables isn't necessarily through the utility companies and, you know, the big monopoly utilities. And how does renewable energy benefit the local communities and public health? Yeah, I mean, to me, this is actually one of the great questions. So I'll give you an example through an interview that we did with Leah Bamberger. She's the sustainability director at the city of Providence, Rhode Island. And they were going through a process like many cities have of kind of coming up with a climate action plan. So they're looking at their emissions, they're looking at their the challenges they have in front of them, they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we reduce carbon emissions in our economy and, and allow people to prosper? And what they did in, in Providence is I think what we should hope that every city does and that any energy process, decision-making process goes through, frankly, which is they really did a big investment in communicating with members of the community about what were the things that were important to them. How did they see energy impacting them? And one of the things that they heard a lot about was that, you know, they're a coastal city, so they've got a big port and there's a lot of heavy industry around there and there's a lot of pollution from that. And a lot of low income folks and communities of color, you know, live right next door to that. And for them, they weren't really thinking about carbon emissions writ large. What they were saying was, you know, we're really concerned about particulate emissions that impact our health, that cause asthma and other respiratory illnesses. We're, you know, worried about the noise from the trucking and the other pollutants that happen from that. 
And so Providence sort of shifted. And instead of just talking about clean energy and climate change writ large, they started to say, okay, well, why don't we say our priority is to reduce the pollution and health impacts from fossil energy in a way that our communities really want. And it will align actually really well with our clean energy goals. Because if we want to, for example, like electrify heavy trucking that operates near the port or maybe the port facilities, they'll start polluting less because they'll be using electricity, which is increasingly coming from renewable resources, which will be great for the surrounding communities. And they can even invest in renewable energy resources to supply those you know, electric cranes or electric trucks. And they could do it in a way that benefits those communities, for example, by putting solar in those communities. And so there's a great opportunity, I think, to marry the interests and the addressing of the past harms of the fossil fuel system, which we know have affected everybody, but especially communities of color and low-income folks. And to do that in a way that benefits all of us, because everybody benefits from more clean energy, from more solar energy, wherever it is. But it's great to know that we can do it in a way that specifically benefits communities that have really high energy burdens. Maybe their energy bills are particularly high because their incomes are low. So doing solar in that part of Providence actually has all these spillover benefits, right? We're helping people pay their energy bills. We're reducing pollution. And we're helping those folks kind of stand up more on their own two feet. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And how can people get involved or support the transition to clean renewable energy, like in their local community or, you know, nationally too? I think a great way to start, as always, is just kind of like, is there any step that you can take on your own? Thinking about like, in my own life, is there something that I can do differently? So, you know, are there energy efficiency measures that you could invest in in your home? Is there a way that you could get like a smart thermostat and help to adjust how much energy you use from your air conditioning or your heating, that kind of thing? As you replace an appliance, is there a particularly energy efficient one that you can afford to get? We've written about, unfortunately, there are barriers even at that level in terms of how we do incentives for efficient appliances. But, you know, being able to do something personal is great because then you actually see the results of your action right there in your own home. I think the second big thing is like, look around for who else is doing this work. Generally speaking, there's going to be someone else in your town that cares about this the same way. So, you know, maybe it's communicating with folks through your neighbors on social media or having a conversation over the back fence. Maybe it's contacting your city council member and saying, hey, what are you doing about climate change? What are you doing about renewable energy in our community? And how can I get involved? So looking for those connections to other people who are doing this work and getting right involved with your city and just asking them like, what plans do they already have? Because fortunately, one of the things that we've seen in the past five to 10 years is that as the federal government has either been moving backward or not moving very quickly to help address climate and renewable energy, a lot of cities have picked up the slack and at least made strong commitments about what they're going to do. And so it's a great way to get involved and help hold them accountable at a local level. And the good news is it's a lot easier to get a hold of and talk to your city council member than it is a member of the state's public utilities commission or a, a state legislator or a federal legislator. Yeah. And with the big monopolies and just like the different regions of the U.S., maybe like more resistant to the clean energy transition or I guess more hesitant about it. Do you think that there's going to be like disproportional sources of energy like coming from the different parts of the world? And does that matter? I think it's I mean, I think we're at a really interesting moment because we have this shift. I think most people are coming around to understanding that the transition is just going to happen, that it's not a choice of whether we do it or not, but it's how we do it. 
you know, the good news is people across the political spectrum love clean energy. They might not want to all talk about climate change. Many of people who say they're skeptical about climate change or, you know, are not willing to believe the science still think it's great to, to people put solar on their own rooftops and try to cut out the power company. I mean, there is kind of this universal understanding that, you know, things that we do for ourselves, self-reliance is a good thing. And being able to do that in our community is really important. So that makes me really optimistic. As well, the fact that Americans, generally speaking, don't like big corporations and get really upset when they find out that those corporations are doing things, making choices on their behalf in ways that don't benefit them or, you know, that harm their community. And so I am optimistic that we can push companies or push for policies that give our communities more opportunity around clean energy. And the nice thing is that any of the stuff that I talked about, whether it's community choice energy or better policy for rooftop solar, everything like that helps us to get keep more of those dollars that we spend on our energy bills in our communities. I mean, collectively, we spend $360 billion a year buying electricity between businesses and homes and industry in this country. And we have a really big opportunity to redirect where that money goes. And so I think that is an exciting idea to folks. It's exciting to think about the fact that even as we try to address this really big threat of climate change, and even as we try to advance renewable energy, we can do it in a way that has really significant benefits for our community, both individually, like I could put solar on my own rooftop or subscribe to a community solar array, but also collectively that because more of those dollars that we spend on energy stay in our community, the stronger our local economy can be. Yeah, that's great. And just my last question is, how can people contact or connect with you if they have questions? Well, all of the work of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance is on our website, ilsr.org. You can look for the energy program specifically. I think it's just slash energy after ilsr.org. Or connect with us in many different ways. We've got a podcast called Local Energy Rules, where I do interviews every couple of weeks with leaders at the city and community level about the kinds of things that they're doing. So if you want some inspiration, it's a great way to hear what's happening out there in the world and how folks have tried to tackle this themselves and, and how it might apply to you. Thank you so much to John for speaking with me. If you want to learn more about the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, you can go to their website linked in the show notes below. And join me next Friday when I talk to Jovita Lee with the Center for Biological Diversity as we discuss energy justice in relation to renewables.